All right. <clears throat> no telling how this is going to go because I've had too many donuts. And when you don't eat a lot of sugar and then you eat a lot of sugar, it can get real crazy real fast. So uh, I really thought about doing an entire sermon on the donut, how we're just like the donut. You know, we, we're not all that bad in our own right. We're just really empty in the middle. But uh, anyway, we won't go down that road. But we're continuing our series looking at the family and, and operating from understanding the most effective attack the devil has made on the church is the deconstruction of the family unit. And it's, it's really great that we get to do this today because it's Father's Day. And, and our world has been preconditioned to not looking at fathers as a good thing. If you go and ask a, a group of sociology professors on any campus, the number one problem facing American society, what, what's caused American society to, to be as bad as everybody says it is, and, and they'll just tell you it's the patriarch. Because our, our, our world has been so conditioned to think that fatherhood is a bad thing that masculinity is a bad thing and you know why why get rid of genders because if you get rid of genders and make everybody absolutely equal then you can take away the importance of the father because we're the world is out there trying to take away the significance of a father because if you can take away the significance of a father, you can convince an entire generation that you don't need a heavenly father because fatherhood's not that big a deal. It's a carefully planned attack by the prince of the power of this world on the kingdom of heaven. That, that's not fun to say because people will be like, man, you're just way out there. Look at the facts and tell me I'm wrong. Look at our world today and, and look at that, that statistic we gave you a few weeks ago of the percentage of kids that will grow up with dad being absent from the home during at least a part of their childhood. And I'm not talking like dad goes on a work trip for a week. I'm talking like dad's gone for two or three years or he's just gone. And we have this fatherless society and people wonder why kids struggle. People wonder why, you know, the, there's such a rise in all of this, you know, if you went back 30 years ago, some of the stuff that's being forced down our throat as this is correct, this is good science, this is, this is what you should accept. 30 years ago, it was diagnosed as a mental illness. That's in my lifetime. It was a mental illness. And I'll stay off my political soapbox today. I really want to go there. I will tell you, and this is my stance, if you don't like it, well, you can argue with the Word of God. If the Word of God calls it sin, it's sin. If the Word of God says it is unnatural and abomination, it is an unnatural abomination in the eyes of God, you will not convince me any other way. But I'll also tell you the Word of God tells me to love you. Doesn't mean to accept what you do. 
Jesus sat with sinners, He ate with sinners, but it never says He sinned with sinners. And we're called to mimic Jesus, which means we go out into the world, live amongst the sinners, and we tell them the truth of the Gospel. I'm not going to argue your ideology with you. I'm going to tell you the absolute truth that there's one name given under heaven by which men can be saved. And you can tell me that I'm stupid for that. You can tell me whatever you want, but you won't convince me because outside of the absolute truth of the Word of God, nothing in this world to me is true. The world has a view of dads that drives me up the wall. And I like this, I'm going to pull this, make it real easy for everybody. Dads in the world are given our identity through sitcoms. Now, as you look up there, some of you are going to see dads that make you giggle, make you laugh, make you smile. I, I'm going to put this as nicely as I can. I don't watch sitcoms very much anymore because I hate sitcom dads. I hate them with a passion. The only sitcom dad up here that I like is the hero of Nakatomi Plaza. And I don't like him for being dad at home with the weird Urkel neighbor. I like him for being the real hero of Nakatomi Plaza. And if you don't know what that means, that's okay. Not everybody watches Die Hard as a Christmas movie, but I do. Because I get to watch Steve Urkel's weird neighbor who was a cop in the sitcom blow away this German terrorist. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's not Christmas until Hans Gruber falls off of Nakatomi Plaza. But, I mean, you can go down through here and, and while each of these guys will have these redeeming great dad moments, the majority of the time in sitcoms, they're made to look like fools. Now, I'm not going to make you raise your hand because I don't want some kid getting slapped on Father's Day, but how many of you ever looked at your dad and thought, man, you're a fool? I never looked at my dad that way. I may have disagreed with him, but my dad was never in my eyes a fool. Never. But the worldview of dads, he's a bumbling fool who sometimes gets it right. His identity is found in his job, and he makes time for his family when he can. And he's often the most disrespected character in his show. Now, you can't tell me that you can sit in front of a TV for hours and hours and hours watching this kind of stuff, and it doesn't impact you. I see it. I see it every day watching how some kids treat their parents. You know, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Cosby recently, but back in the day when Cosby said, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. You know, he kind of demanded a level of respect from his kids in his show. But there, there were things I never would have said to my parents that kids today think they can get away with. And, and I'll tell you the kids that, that try it the most, and this is not a knock on anybody, but it, it's when it's a single mom raising the kids. The majority of the time, this is just personal observation. It's not prejudice. It's not me picking on anybody. The reality is, if there's not a dad in the home, 
the kids are more likely to be disrespectful. And that's, that's from my nearly 17 years of coaching now. Teaching and coaching. Now, let, let's, let's stay on that thread of coaching because how does the, the world view coaches? You know, let me, let me say, how do, you, how do you view these guys? And put your feelings for Lincoln Riley aside for the sake of the discussion, okay? Because, you know, aside from, you know, he's the Benedict Arnold, Judas, whatever you want to call him, you know, your, your feelings for that will soften with time because people are starting to forgive Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. They even gave him a key to Oklahoma City. So, but when you look at these guys, the majority of the time, there's a, a feeling of respect. Okay, the guy in the top middle, Dabo Sweeney. Nothing but respect for Dabo. I'm not saying he can walk on water, but he loves Jesus and he coaches football and his players come out of his program saying good things about their coach. Uh, I just picked a picture that football coaches because it was quick and easy and football season <clears throat> is only like 60 days away. So, hallelujah. Um, but, you know, we look at these guys and we think they're leaders. They're communicators. They're respectable. They're hardworking for their team. They're role models. The, the world will look at coaches and say those kind of things. Okay? The, the world pays attention when a coach speaks. That's why any time somebody has a birthday and turns 40, Mike Gundy comes to mind. I did not, when Denise turned 40, you know, play that speech that you're a man because she's not a man. Okay, there's enough of that nonsense in the world. She doesn't need to be told she's a man. She's a woman, a very beautiful woman with, with some really divine gifts from God. But how different would dads look if every week... We had to go play a game. We'd take our family and play a game against another family. How different would your fatherhood look? How much more time would you put into your kids? And, and I don't care what the game is. If we're going to go play Uno, we're going to spend some time playing Uno and learn to play Uno, right? Yahtzee is the thing at our house right now. I mean, we're rolling the dice. Yeah, I'm confessing to it right here in church. You know, we, we play the cards, we roll the dice. We're like miniature Las Vegas, right? No, not really. There's no money changing hands yet. Yet. Denise, Denise didn't even look. I mean, but how different would we be? And, and now she's looking. How different would it look? And... and I don't want a single dad in here tonight, or today, sorry, tonight. We're going to be here that long. Brace yourself. No. I don't want a dad walking out of here today saying, man, I'm getting it all wrong. Because I've had enough of that on Father's Day. On Mother's Day, we put moms on a pedestal, and she's the best thing since sliced bread. And on Father's Day, it's usually, hey, you guys are, you guys are terrible. Get your act together and be a man. I'm tired of that. And I'm tired of that for a good reason because that, that is where even the church in a way has, has downplayed the role of dad instead of saying, dad, you know, 
I'm going to remind you of who you are. And that's our purpose this morning is to remind dads who they are. Dad, you are the coach of your team. Your team is your family and your extended family. Dale, you're like the front office director of Team Long. Okay, Nathan and Scott are both head coaches of small, separate parts of the organization. They're the D-Leagues. They're going to get to take the reins someday. But you're called to coach your team, Scott. And this speaks to men more than you can imagine, ladies, because whether you played sports or not, you understand what a coach does. From the outside looking in, you can see what a coach does. And we're going to look at some real quick things here before we jump into Scripture, connecting this right back into the line of thinking of building a family team. And I want you to understand what good coaches do, guys. The, the first thing is coaches understand the success of the team depends on the skill and the dedication of the coach. The success of your team depends on your skill and dedication. It doesn't depend on the assistant coach's skill and dedication. How many assistant coaches get their name drugged through the mud when the team's having a bad year? Now, at the college level, they fire some of them if they really want to save their head coach. But more often than not, if OSU's losing, it's Mike Gundy's fault. If OU stumbles out of the gate this year, it's Brent Venner. No, it's Lincoln Riley's fault. <laughs> okay. I, I'm there. I, I'm with you all. I know what it's like. To, you know, it's not really like your coach. But, you know, <clears throat> he gone. We're going we're to let him be at USC and, and be in the Pac-12, the, the sister league of the – okay, anyway. <clears throat> I'll get caught up in it if we're not careful. But the success depends on the coach. The coach needs to work with and develop the talent he has been given. Man, if you, if you just take that out and you say the dad needs to work with and develop the children he has been given. Woo! That'll preach. Players, also known as children, come very raw, undisciplined, and in very serious need of training. If you think about it, when they first come out, what, what do they do besides terrify you as a first-time dad? You know, this wiggly mess of something that just absolutely melts your heart, and then it makes a sound. What do I do? It, it makes a sound from its lower regions. What do I do? And, and finally, over the course of time, you train them to where some of these sounds, you know, when they burp, they say, excuse me. You know, when they have stuff moving out the other end they they go to the bathroom and take care of it themselves when they're all potty trained that is when we party <laughs> okay they're in serious need of training and all through their life they're going to need someone to put discipline into them and, and discipline doesn't just mean you spank your kid sometimes they need it they're like canoes paddle them from the rear but the rest of the time it's just putting them in a position to understand where the boundaries are so they have freedom to run within the boundaries. When players get sloppy or the coach gets lazy, the whole team suffers and loses heart. Have you ever got on the kick that we get on of, we're going to keep on top of the dishes in the laundry? Anybody ever start that battle? How many times you fail before you finally get it? Because 
we we all tend to uh, it's late in the evening it was a good supper just pile the dishes in the sink we'll take care of them in the morning and then what happens in the morning you get in a hurry you got to get out the door to work and school so you pile a few more dishes in there and because you got out of discipline you got sloppy and you got lazy the dishes kept piling up and everybody loses heart of we'll never be able to keep this kitchen clean we won't go down the road with laundry because we have mountain ranges in our house we have way too many people to ever think we're going to be on top of laundry so we won't go there i've already lost heart as a coach we're, we're not going to get there good players think of themselves as part of the team first and as individuals second as, as a coach it is your job to instill that line of thinking in your players dad it's your job as the coach of your team to instill that line of thinking in your children of you know is this the best for our family right now or is this just the best for me and and sometimes those two things collide and it's like it's the best thing ever you know you are the golden child of that moment and then there's times where you have to be honest and be like yeah i'm gonna have to sacrifice that for the good of the team i i don't play the amount of golf i used to now that my children are getting older and i can enjoy golf with them golf is coming back but it went away for a long time in our household because it wasn't good for the team may have been good for my mental health but it was not good for the team if the coach abandons his team the team immediately begins to unravel and fall apart if dad abandons the family the family immediately begins to unravel and fall apart dad you matter The coach learned coaching back when he was coached as a player on a team. Some of us have, have done some coaching. You, you don't just read a book and decide, hey, I'm going to go out and coach. Uh, I tell you where I struggled the most, you know, softball's enough like baseball, I could fake it till I made it. But I was asked to help with volleyball for a very short stretch. You know how much I have been coached in volleyball? How much I'd ever really been around volleyball other than church camp volleyball, which is different. You know, you get out there and, and these girls are hitting the ball hard enough it'll take your face off. No, I couldn't coach that because I'd never been coached there. I don't ask me to coach you on how to drive a combine. Haven't been coached in it. I couldn't tell you. Please don't ask me to help you land the plane. Never been coached there. The greatest coaches listen and show affection to their players. Own that one, Dad. The greatest coaches listen and show affection to their players. And for some dads, that's a hard thing. It's hard to show affection. A good coach discovers and releases players in their area of greatest strength and builds them up where they're weak. If you start to coach your family and you coach your children, 
that this is where we have to be really careful that we're not trying to make our greatest strength their greatest strength. Right now, none of my children shoot a good jump shot. None of them. If they want to continue to pursue the game of basketball, I will work with them and try and help them develop into being a good jump shooter. But I can tell you with most of my kids right now where their greatest strengths are. Most of it lies in music, art, reading, mechanically minded. One is a Star Wars expert. I don't know how we're going to cultivate that. But we can build on their weaknesses too. And we're never using their weakness to shame them. We're using their weakness to remind them and keep them humble and to build on that weakness until it becomes one of their better strengths. 10, the coach must provide morale by demonstrating his commitment. Wow. We don't even have to continue that phrase right there. The way you build morale in your family, men, is show them your commitment level to them. Not to the job, to them. What, and, and don't be afraid to tell them. You know, I'll, I'll go back to the sour cream incident if you didn't catch it on Facebook. After 19 years of marriage, my wife finally found out I do like sour cream. But when we would go out to eat at Mexican restaurants, she would inevitably order a meal that didn't come with it. And she's too quiet, polite, and reserved to ask the waiter for sour cream. And cheap, because we don't want to pay extra. And I like sour cream, but I can live without it. So I would give her my sour cream that typically comes with what I order. I still like sour cream, but I was giving it to her, but I never put words to it, so she never put two and two together. She made the assumption I didn't like sour cream. Now, what's that look like for a dad? It, it could be, you know, you, you suddenly quit playing golf. Not because you don't love to play golf, but you don't want to miss your daughter's dance recital. You don't want to miss the softball game. You don't want to miss getting to interrogate that boy that thinks he's going to take her out on a date. I mean, you don't want to miss the chance to take their mom on a date and show them what a healthy, loving relationship looks like. You demonstrate your commitment. And the staff, which I hate calling <laughs> wives, I'm not calling you the staff, okay? <laughs> but your assistant coach and your players feed off of your drive. And when your drive becomes to make your family the best that it can be, the most important thing in your life, they feed off it and they begin to run with it. And that gives you the opportunity for them to see the full scope of the family. A lot of times we just see our little pocket of family. If it's just Denise and I and our five kids, that's a very limited scope of family. And I want you to understand that's not the biblical perspective at all. We are just this part of a major line of people in our family. And it's going to go on long after us, praise God. Because we got five kids, one of them's bound to have kids. 
you know, more than one of them because, you know, I'm going to keep like, I'm going to keep hammering until they do. I'm going to be like that Jewish mom. When are you having babies? You know, <clears throat> that's now I'm not pushing anyone over here to go faster because Scott doesn't need the joy of grandparenting yet. <clears throat> In time. In time, you got years. You got lots more years than you think. But God views you as a family, not just an individual. See, we get the scope so much on ourselves that we're worried that God's view is all about me. It's not about me, it's about my family. And we look at Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Okay, this is where this crazy kind of concept has come in to the church of generational sin and generational curses and i can tell you if you want to cling on to that it's bad doctrine because the the word of god is true that yes if if that sin is not repented of it will continue to manifest in your family but when you repent of it it may have run in your family but it runs out with you Great-grandpa was an alcoholic. Grandpa was an alcoholic. Dad was an alcoholic. Guess what? If you choose to be sober and you choose to let Jesus guide you into sobriety, it ran out with you. God reveals His glory. And if we paid attention to that verse, generation after generation after generation, yes, sin can continue through generations, but God's glory goes from the beginning generation to the end. God already talked about it, and he, we, we reaffirm it over and over in His Word, especially in the book of Revelation. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And, and the hardest thing, because we're so self-centered and self-natured, is to, to step outside of ourselves and realize we're just a tiny fabric in a giant tapestry called mankind. That our family may be a thread that runs down here, that's just part of a bigger picture. And you're part of a larger story. A guy named Donald Miller said, I'm a tree in a story about a forest. Okay, just go take a picture when you go in the mountains, hopefully where there hadn't been a fire. Take a picture and see how many trees are on that mountainside and imagine yourself as one of those trees. If you were the only tree standing on the mountain, it would be an ugly mountain. But when you realize that you're a tree in a story about a forest, you begin to see people around you differently. The people that you're supposed to share the gospel with, it becomes a little easier because, hey, we're part of the same story. The only difference between you and I is the fact that I know that I know that I know. I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I know He rose from the grave. I know that I'm forgiven in Him. And I want you to know that too so that you're another tree in the, in the story of this forest. We're called to pass blessing on to the next generation, not to spend their inheritance. 
This is not a desperate plea to my parents that I'm the same kid I was in college, I need money. That's not what it is at all. But don't go out just spending your inheritance. And I'm not talking about physical things as much as I am spiritual. If you're not investing spiritually into your family's inheritance, if if you guys that are the grandpa or the great grandpa of your family are not speaking the word of God into your family, you're spending your inheritance somewhere else. You're called to speak it into your children and into your grandchildren. And we'll get to that in a minute. We're going to call it releasing the grandparents to be grandparents. Because I think sometimes we feel like, oh, I don't want to step on the toes of my children. And children sometimes think, I don't want to burden my parents. When we get the right scope, it's not a burden. Okay? I'm not going to take the poll, but how many people here think college was the best years of your life? I don't. I don't think the early days of marriage were the best years of my life. They were great, but they're not the best years of my life. Having kids is not the best years of my life. And I know this because I've got the right perspective. The, the verse we hit on about blessed is the man whose quiver is full is a verse about a grandpa. When you get to sit at that table with your grandkids, those are the beginnings of the best years of your life. Not because your body's worth a dang anymore, because your body's going to be in bad shape. Mine's going to be awful by the time I get there, just the way it's treating me now, and I'm middle-aged. Middle oh, it's hard to choke that out. But I want to be passing on an inheritance to my kids that's going to go into my grandkids, it's going to go into my great-grandkids, and it's not because it was mine to give away. That's the inheritance I got from my great-grandparents who helped build the church in Laverne, physically and spiritually. There, they, my great-grandpa Jake spent hours building the church there at Laverne, the Apostolic Church. And, and he and my great-grandmother invested into the church over and over. They invested into the lives of their children. Two of the three married preachers. Not a big shock. Guess what? All these generations later, there's another preacher in the family. By the grace of God, maybe one of my kids will have a kid who's going to be a preacher of the gospel. Because there's an inheritance. In Genesis, we go back talking to Abraham, and, and this is just the promise to Abraham. I want you to understand that if you jump down in, it says, I will establish my covenant between me and you to your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. When, when people teach about the New Testament and talk about the New Covenant, it did not abolish the Old Covenant that was promised to generations. People try and say it didn't abolish it. It brought a deeper fulfillment of that covenant because now it was extended to the Gentiles. And that gets me pumped. i got to quit. Man, it's either the sugar or I'm going to get Pentecostal. So we're going to move. But... We have to understand the choices made by this generation impact the direction of every generation that follows it. Therapists that work with people, they spend 80% of their time digging into the history of your family because your family causes you to be the way you are. They're like, well, that ain't right. 
If you're not right, chances are it has to do with your family. Okay? I got some weirdos in my family. I'll just tell you. I love them, but they're some weirdos. And now, look at them jump up and run. They're like, somebody's going to talk about me. <laughs> and, and here it is. We, we talk about this every week because Evelyn, without fail, every week takes her mom to the bathroom. And then, Audrey, this is where you and Jovi have to pay attention because this is where you get to tell mom something she missed. The end of the day, we, we talk about what we heard in church. And without fail, one of those two will say something. And he's like, I didn't hear that. Because you were in the bathroom. But understand, you're not held captive to being a victim of your family. Okay, If you grew up in a bad family, you grew up without a Christian mom or dad in the home, you grew up with just one parent, you know, we, we can throw all these different things that is not the biblical model. Maybe your parents still aren't Christian. Your grandparents aren't Christian. Doesn't mean that you cannot start clean with you and you become, you know, Jeff, if your mom and dad weren't serving God, you could become the patriarch of your family. That it would start with you and run through generations. Garrison, it's too late. You got a grandpa, and I know you had great grandpas. You're, you're just part of a long line like me. And that's okay. But in Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14, it says, The unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. Your family is who God looks at. And there's people like, man, that, that doesn't make sense. The, the verse right before this, it tells this woman not to leave her husband because he's an unbeliever. Don't leave him because he's a heathen. God's going to look at him through you. And you're going to be the primary minister to him. Your first ministry first is going to be show him the love of Christ by being faithful and loving. He's made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife, flip side of the coin, is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they're holy. My mom was the most faithful church-going member of my household growing up. I have no doubt that my dad loved the Lord, but my dad was not the spiritual leader in my house from age 12 to age 18 when I left the home. Dad was not the leader. And it wasn't for any other reason than he was never taught how to do it. That's not going to be the way in my house. I'm the coach, I'm the leader. I'm the communicator. Our children are going to know God because I know God. And that's going to be the legacy they carry in. There, there's a reason my daughters won't date losers. Because I want them to be men who are going to carry on in their household what I do in mine. I'm going to hold them to a high standard and there's nothing wrong with that. They just better get on their knees and thank God I'm not going to hold them to a bride price. Yeah, I'm old-fashioned. We're talking goats and camels, baby. <laughs> or if they're into really good cattle, like Garrison, it's too bad my daughters are so young. Man, there'd be some good long beef coming into the Manning house. They got and you're not a loser. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got time, you know, you just, you just be old. <laughs> but 
It's the general, re the generational reset button. Maybe dad was like my dad, who I love, and I'm proud of him. I love my dad dearly. And my dad is, has become, in my adult years, more of a spiritual leader in his home. There, there's times that, that, that he still gets to be dad and rein me in, spiritually. And, and I love him for that. But it's going to start with my generation of the men absolutely leading in the home. And it's not a lording over, it's a leading you can't lead people you lord over. Which is why I love God so much. He is our Lord, but He doesn't put His thumb on us and, and, and squash us down and, and show His commandment over and over. He shows us His love, His grace, and His mercy. And He guides us. That's the best picture out there. In Ezekiel, and somehow I put that other slide in there, you say, why should the son not suffer for the iniquity of the father? When the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to observe all of my statues, he shall surely live. That This was an Old Testament promise that said generational curses could be broken. And there it is. The, the soul who sins shall die, but the son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. Hallelujah. There, there was a stretch in my life there. If dad had to suffer for my sins, I would feel guilty for eternity. Because I was not a good kid. For, for about five years, I got really bad. The wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Aren't you glad you don't have to suffer for somebody else's sin? It's a beautiful thing. The greatest years of your life we already talked about, and there's scriptural proof for this. Grandparents, write this down. Psalm 128, verse 6. May you live to enjoy your grandchildren. Grandchildren are like, yeah! We're getting chocolate cake for breakfast! <laughs> that, that was the kind of stuff that happened with my grandparents. I don't know how you guys treat it. <clears throat> I, I just have a... Going to the grandparents is like going to Vegas. I really don't want to hear what you ate. I know you ate. I know it wasn't healthy. I don't want to know. What happens at the grandparents stays at the grandparents. We'll correct your horrible eating habits at home. I can't wait to be the grandparent. Actually, I can. Okay, let me correct that, daughters. Okay. I, I got three daughters and two sons, and man, just just picturing in my mind, living to older age, I'm not going to say old, older age, and, and getting to see little copies of my kids around the table. What a blessing. I wanted to end this morning with a, a quote by Tolkien from The Lord of the Rings. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. And deep roots are not reached by the frost. Men, the challenge to us today is become the coach of your family. And, and begin to help your family put down deep roots 
not only in the Word of God and, and in a relationship with God, but deep roots in, in your family. Being proud to, to have those moments where somebody says, hey, you're Scott Long's kid, right? Hey, you're Jeff Newby's daughter. Hey, you're Nathan Long's kid. You know, aren't you Gary Graves' son? To where you have your roots. Because there's coming a time in this world where the, the frost of this world is going to hit. That our, our society just keeps drifting further and further into, we'll just call it what it is, sin. And the dark, cold depths of sin will not reach a family that's rooted down. You'll, you'll still get beat up. That's just the nature of life. But you won't get swept away with the flood of evil that's hitting our world. So men, welcome to the coaching staff. It's the greatest position you'll ever have. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you that you show us what it is to be a good father. What it is to love your children. Lord, what it is to, to coach us through your word and through your Holy Spirit. To live our lives in a way that shows the world who you are. Lord, that we get to carry your name all, all over the world, Lord, to every nation. Lord, and help us to have that pride in you. Lord, it's a, it's a word the world's twisting and corrupting so much right now, but our pride is in you. You're the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You're the beginning and the end. And you love us. And you give us the ability to love others. Lord, help us. Father, I pray a special blessing on the fathers and the future fathers that are in this room. That God, we would embrace the role of coaching our family. And Lord, connecting our family for generations to come to the life-changing power of the gospel. Lord, that we would, we would love and serve and guide our families in ways that would honor you. Lord, again, we lift up this week to you, praying that you'll be with kids that are at camp, be with VBS. Lord, just give us strength and energy to, to just love on these kids and to share the word of God in a powerful way. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.